You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Montreal zone on left wing. McCann shoots, scores! Clean wrist shot from the top of the left circle by Ilya McKayev. I thought it was a really, like, really good game. 600, uh, 200 foot game by everybody. Good kick! Seattle wins it! 29-26! There's some guys that, uh, that sucked tonight. That team sure did suck last night. They just played sucked. I've seen teams suck before, but they were the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked. Good morning, Vancouver. 701 on a happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. Mine is Bruff. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I am Mike Halford. I just mentioned Jason Bruff is not here. He's on vacation this week. I don't know why there's barking. Uh, I'll say hello to the rest of the crew. Good morning to you, Andy Cole. Good morning. And good morning to you as well, Greg Ballard. Hello, hello. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by... The Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We start right in the middle of hour two. It's only a two-hour program here on a holiday Monday. Uh, this hour of the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics is Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It is a holiday Monday. We're big on traditions here at the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So, if you're listening on a holiday Monday... Maybe you got called into work. Maybe you've got some errands that you got to run really early on a holiday Monday. If you're out and about, or even if you're just listening to the show on this non-traditional work day, text in, won't you? Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. We will be reading hellos, how you doings, throughout the morning. Also, important to note, on a holiday Monday, we are giving away a pair of tickets. Yes, two tickets to go see. Bo Horvat and the New York Islanders come to town Wednesday, this Wednesday, November 15th, Isles Canucks, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. We are giving away a pair of tickets to the best what we learned of the day. Hashtag it WWL. Let us know what you learned over the last 72 hours in sports. Don't forget to add a ticket emoji into your text. You'll be entered into the grand prize contest for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks play the Islanders Big game. It's Bo Horvat week, everybody. Uh, Wednesday, November 15th. Uh, as for what's happening on the program today, two guests. It's a two-hour show, 7 to 9 o'clock at 7.30. So in the second segment of the first hour, Mike Tannier is going to join us. Our NFL insider from the Messenger. Big win for the Seahawks on Sunday. Another last second, another real tight one down the stretch over the Commanders. Uh, we'll talk to Mike about that. We'll talk to about the return of Kyler Murray, a whole bunch of other stuff. 7.30, Mike Tanier is going to join the program. 8 o'clock, it is Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine. We will talk about your Vancouver Canucks on this, your home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 
What a trip for the Vancouver Canucks as they do a brief three-game swing through Eastern Canada. The Casey DeSmith show wins for him over Ottawa. And then last night, of course, a win over Montreal. The, the Vancouver Canucks, everybody, are now returning from this three-game Eastern Canadian road swing, having scored five or more goals in half of their games this season. They are going to kick off this week, which begins today, leading the NHL in goals with 66, leading the NHL in goal differential with 33. Oh, and they've got 11 regulation wins as well. Which I, also, I call that a wagon, I would say. They are a wagon, Greg. I don't even know what it means with the youths and their terminology, but they are a wagon. You can really feel it. So, again, this is the show. We are giving away tickets to see Bo Horvat in the aisles come to town. Horvat's big return on Wednesday. That requires a what we learn text to 650-650 at 7.30. It is Mike Tannier at 8 o'clock. It is Kevin Woodley. Uh, that's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. It was a story of the second period in Montreal on Sunday. The Vancouver Canucks scored not one, not two, but three times in the middle frame in a 5-2 win over the Montreal Canadiens at the Bell Center on Sunday. Connor Garland, nice game for him. First multi-point game of the season. He had a goal and an assist. Casey DeSmith, maybe the star of the road swing. 30 saves for the Canucks. Who? And it almost continues to blow my mind, even though I know the stats and I know the records. Vancouver is 11-3-1 on the year. 11-3-1, one of the best starts in franchise history. Hashtag the start is swimming. They are 9-1-1 in their last 11 games. Nine wins from 11. Truly, truly a remarkable feat. Great performance yesterday. A very businesslike, very proficient. I believe the term being thrown around was predictable. A predictable effort, the way that they played, the way that they went out and took care of business against the Montreal team that if you listen to Sat and Bick talk post-game yesterday right here on Sportsnet 650, we aired it again this morning. Uh, they were talking about a Montreal team that works hard, plays hard, challenges the opposition, really embodies that fighting spirit that their head coach, Marty St. Louis, had when he was a player. But ultimately, it was the middle frame for the Vancouver Canucks that proved the difference. Garland gave Vancouver a one nothing lead about six minutes into that second period, drove the slot, redirected home an ice pass from JT Miller, who got a terrific cross-ice pass from Quinn Hughes. That put the Canucks up one nothing. Shortly thereafter, and we'll talk about getting the breaks and having things bounce your way in a little bit, but one of those happened when Christian Dvorak came in about two minutes after Garland scored, looked as though he had tied it up at one. Ah, not so fast. Play was challenged for offside. It was a pretty clear offside. I believe it was Cole Caulfield at the line that was offside. Call was reversed. Canucks go back up one nothing. shortly thereafter. Mikheyev makes it 2 nothing at the 9-17 mark. And again, we're going to talk about the bounces in a little bit. Some very fortuitous breaks in that sequence, including Jake Allen losing his stick. Mikheyev scores. It's 2 nothing. Then about 10 minutes later in the second period, Dakota Joshua scores to make it 3 nothing. A nice little backhand off a rebound from a Connor Garland shot. 
that line of Suter and Garland and um, Dakota Joshua played exceptionally well and really did throughout the trip. Mike Matheson made it 3-1 in the third. Might look like it a little close down the stretch, but then Brock Besser had an empty netter. Teams traded goals late. Uh, Arbor Jackai made it 4-2 with about under a minute left and then found money Phil. Phil DiGiuseppe scored on the empty net on a nice unselfish play from JT Miller. 5-2 is your final. So there's my Jason Bruffian rundown of everything that happened in case you guys missed it. Uh, really, really, really solid swing. And it's funny, when you come in and we do this show after a Saturday-Sunday back-to-back, it's almost inevitable that the Saturday game always gets pushed to the background, right? We don't need to talk about Saturday. Old news, right? Like, who cares that they lost the Toronto? Does Saturday even happen? Does it exist? Yes, historically, but uh, this, you know, even though we are hyper-focusing on the win and ignoring the loss, I think it's important to note that collectively, the Canucks ticked a lot of boxes with this road trip. Andy, curious to get your thoughts on last night's win, a 5-2 victory over the uh, Montreal Canadiens, in which the team was able to bounce back from a kind of flat loss in Toronto, uh, but more importantly, head home having won two of three on the Eastern Road Swing. It was good. That's great, Andy. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was you really the good. best in the business for nothing, folks. <laughs> no, it was it was a, it was a good game. I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, uh, I was very unhappy with the Leafs game. I just hate losing to the Leafs. It's the my least favorite team to lose to, even more than the Bruins, more than the Hawks, more than the Flames. Hate losing to the Leafs. That game sucked. Uh, they were not good at all. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they bounced back and had a great one in uh, Montreal. So it was, it was a good way to close I, it out. I missed the Toronto one, the Demko. I saw his stat line. Do we have uh, a goalie controversy now, or could we make one just for uh, fun? Oh, there C- it is. Could we just do it for fun? What, okay. <laughs> what happened in that game? Because I, I did not see why Demko struggled. Um, yeah, it wasn't his best game. But, yeah. but, they, but the whole team didn't play well, so, I mean, it's not just him. Yeah, it, it was. It was. I would classify it. It wasn't like a, an egg. It was flat, right? Toronto came out buzzing. And, I mean, if we're being perfectly honest, that was one of the games where um, all the fortuitous bounces and breaks didn't especially go the Canucks' way. And it's interesting because Rick Tockett spoke about it after the Toronto game. He said, look, we have to acknowledge that we've been fortunate. We've had some fortuitous breaks through this early part of the season. And Drancer had a really interesting piece. Yes, Drancer had a really interesting piece in The Athletic in the aftermath of the game, trying to explain what we mean when we talk about breaks and bounces, things going your way. Oftentimes, there's a correlation between being good and being lucky. And you can make the right correlation and say, okay, Good teams put themselves in a position to have good luck. The dangerous part of the conversation is I think what a lot of people have had about regression and PDO and expected goals and what you really are as opposed to what you're getting because things are fortuitous. And that's when people start to say and push back against the narrative and say, well, wait a minute. You can't chalk this all up to good bounces and good breaks. That's not fair to the guys on the ice. You make you're your just, own luck, right? You're just being a hater. You're being negative. And then Bruff puts a, ooh, the regression, the regression. <laughs> I think last night against Montreal, there was a couple of really good examples of what a good team does to give itself breaks and bounces, and more importantly, what you do with them. So let's go back to the second goal of the game. It's the Mikheyev goal that puts them up to nothing. And I was talking about this with A-Dog uh, prior to the show starting. And the sequence went, I believe it was Gooley knocked the stick out of Jake Allen's hands. On a sequence in which the Canucks had the Habs pinned into their own zone 
and were buzzing. Now, the important thing is that they were buzzing and not peppering. Right? Two totally different things. And Adog actually said you were getting frustrated because they weren't well, yeah. firing pucks. They were trying to like make a play, and Allen didn't have his stick, and I was like yelling on the TV, They're just shoot it at him, he doesn't have his stick. Right. And finally, Mikhaev came back and was like, yeah, okay, I'm doing it. But- so what happened in that instance was a lot of sustained zone pressure resulted in, whether it was a direct correlation or not, this break happening for the Canucks. Habs defenseman knocks the stick out of his goalie's own hands. Suddenly, the goalie is like, my walking cane is gone. I don't know what to do. I feel lost it's and so weird. Awkward. Right? Now. It's not, actually. The Laddie, sustained, was, Laddie was pushing I'll back ask, against I'll ask, I'll ask Laddie in a second about playing play goalie playing without a stick. But when that happens, um, the sustained zone pressure allows it to happen. You put a team under, and who knows what's going to happen other than things are better odds more likely than not for things to go your way. They get a good break here. The important thing is that Suzuki tries to clear the zone, has a super soft clear. It barely gets out to center ice. Kuzmenko, and this is another important thing, keeps the pedal down, keeps the pressure going, doesn't reset, doesn't take the puck back out, is cognizant of the fact that we are now in a situation in a game where a break has gone our way. Something favorable has happened. Let's see if we can keep the pressure. Let's see if we can sustain what we've got. Let's see if we can take advantage of this. Quick play at center. Puts the puck onto McKayev's stick. Really forces the issue. Forces the pressure. McKayev makes a nice move at the blue line. Walks in. Not even one-on-one or anything. But again, acknowledges the situation that a positive break has gone the team's way. Fires the wrister. Allen doesn't save it. Boom. Canucks are up 2-0. Laddie. Now I turn attention mm-hmm. to you. Just how difficult is it for a netminder to mind the net <laughs> without a stick? Because Jake Allen looked just uncomfortable without yeah. his without his walking cane. That's a good way to put it. It is a little uncomfortable. It's it's more of a comfort thing than anything else. You, obviously, you have to be more aware that your five hole is open, so sealing your five hole a little bit quicker because you don't have a stick there anymore. Uh, but also, the other biggest thing is just controlling rebounds. So if there is a shot right along the ice, usually you'd steer that to the corner or up into the netting with your stick. You can't really do that without a stick. So those are the two main points that uh, could go wrong when you're a goalie without a stick. But really, guys like Bobrovsky, they'll drop their stick on purpose to get their blocker up even higher sometimes. Right. To, so it's not really necessary in order to make a blocker save, especially where, which is where that goal went in. Mm-hmm. So if anything, it would help you get your blocker up quicker if you didn't have your stick. But the, for me, I actually tell my defenseman to keep their sticks. Don't, right, give, me don't give me your stick. I don't want your stick. A defenseman without a stick is way more useless than a goalie without a stick, right. in, my, in my opinion. And you're distracting the goalie by doing the whole transfer with the stick thing. So I think just if you're a goalie, you lose your stick just... Play without it until you get a break where you can grab it or get a whistle. Jake Allen did the right thing. And he went for it because when Suzuki cleared, he's like, ooh, now's a chance. But, again, Kuzmenko right away, pressure, pressure, pressure. Which is a good thing. That's what you... Like I said, it's not a huge advantage, but hey, it's it's scramble mode for the goalie. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, Drant's got this really good line in The Athletic. When we talk about luck, he wrote... We might talk about bounces, but what we really mean is, quote, the things you try just work and the things your opponents try just don't. Perfect example on that play, right? The Habs try to clear the zone to give their goalie enough time to get their stick. It doesn't work. You, the Vancouver Canucks, try to keep the pressure on, try to keep it sustained, and it works your way. Sometimes it's your night. Sometimes it's your night for 10 games in a row, or in the case of the Canucks, 11, where they've won nine of their last 11. And then I think this is where we get into that conversation about does good luck come from good quality? 
does good quality produce good luck? Are they simpatico? Do they even have any correlation? But that's a nice little instance last night about probably the things that the Canucks are doing fundamentally fundamentally getting dra- drastically different from last year that they hadn't done, you know, really throughout the Boudreaux era. Okay, uh, a couple other notes that I want to get to from last night's game. We do need to talk goaltending here uh, to answer A-Dog's question. No, don't do it. Just stop. <laughs> get oh, some help. Uh, Casey DeSmith was terrific on this trip, though. Uh, his night started early. He made a bunch of saves. I think Slavkovsky had seven shot attempts. Or sorry, seven shots and 11 attempts. He was he, by far the most notable, noticeable have for me. Like, he was everywhere. And noticeably frustrated because he couldn't get anything to go. I think he's still stuck on one goal this year. So DeSmith really locked him up. He did a good job of stopping everything that Slavkovsky put forth. Um, DeSmith wins two of three games on the trip. He finishes... With 58 saves on 64 shots in wins over Ottawa and Montreal, that's a 935 save percentage. Thus wrestling the starting job away from Thatcher Demko. And there it is. I am glad <laughs> that the Canucks went this route because we talked prior to the Eastern Road Swing about the volume that Demko had played very early in the season. I think he, at the time before the Ottawa game, Demko was somewhere in the neighborhood of top five in minutes played, top two in the NHL in shots faced. So to be able to go to DeSmith in two of three and get wins in both DeSmith games is huge. On the year, uh, they had because his numbers are so good, DeSmith they are, 4-0-1 with a 9.22 save percentage. I don't know how closely you track these sorts of things, Laddie, but I would say that right now the DeSmith-Demko, and you notice I led with DeSmith there, right? Not the Demko to Smith combo. The DeSmith Demko. You got to lead with your starter. The combo, they've got to be at least in the top three in the NHL in goalie tandems. Like, I think Swayman and Allmark are there 100%. Kind of the gold standard, isn't it? I think, and speaking of gold, I think the Vegas Golden Knights duo of Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill statistically is right there. But you're talking about two guys in Demko and DeSmith that are plus 920 each. I don't know. I don't think Demko's dropped below that after the game in Toronto. But uh, it's, if he had that save on the challenge, he would be. Yeah. Right. Let's not. I'm not going to do challenge talk <laughs> this morning. You know what? I don't really want to go there. Uh, let, I want to. I want to play uh, two clips here where it sounds like coach and player are almost mirroring one another. The first is Rick Tockett, the head coach on Casey to Smith, who has been so good, so good for the Canucks through his first six games of the year. Here now, Rick Tockett on Casey to Smith. I've liked him all year. He's um, solid. He looks big in the net. Um, you know, he won both games for us. Uh, what is he, 4-0? Like, I, I don't know. I just think he's just a terrific addition. Like, uh, um, one of the well-liked guys on our team. It's, you know, he's, he knows his role. He's not, he's taking shots after practice. You know, he's just he's a super teammate and uh, good for him. He's playing great for us. And now, Connor Garland, also on his teammate, Casey DeSmith, who apparently uh, played alongside Garland at a recent World Hockey Championship. So Garland was familiar with DeSmith's body of work, very impressed with the backup goalie has given the Canucks uh, through the first 13 games of the season. I got to play with Casey this summer at the Worlds and uh, got to see how good he was. And uh, I was very excited when we made that trade. A uh, great guy and a really good goalie that I don't think a lot of people knew about before he got here. So um, he only makes our team better. And, you know, we uh, you know won both games with him on the road trip. And it's nice to have that, uh, you know, on our team this year. Speaking of Connor Garland, the off-maligned winger 
who, as may, most of you know, did request a trade. Yeah, why was he happy Garland got, or was he happy DeSmith got acquired? <laughs> Wouldn't he be like, oh, man, I'm leaving. I just requested a trade. Well, that whole narrative has changed through the first 10, 15 games of the season. Garland, maybe his best performance of the year, as I mentioned earlier, his first multi-point performance of the season, a goal and an assist, um, made a nice play to get a shot on net on the Dakota Joshua goal that made it 3-0. He also opened the scoring uh, early in the first period. Rick Tockett was full of praise for Garland. And, uh, you know, he said that that line with Puce Suter, who is what? It's Puce Scorter, right? Is that how we're Scorter. saying this? Right. Yeah, Scorter. And Dakota scoring. Joshua. It's, it's another instance this year of a, a line where you look at the pieces and you say, hmm, kind of a weird fit. Not necessarily sure that this is going to work. Didn't expect it. But Joshua, Suter, and Garland has been very good this year. Was very good out east. Here is Rick Tockett, the head coach, on the Garland line, saying it's been one of their best over the last few games. Garland's been playing really well. You know, he's one of the better last five, six, seven games, one of the better forwards. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's done a nice job. I really uh, think he, uh, that line actually has been one of our better lines the last three, four games. They, they're, they're our best line in uh, Toronto, so... Um, good for them. Really good line. So uh, the Canucks will play, obviously, again on Wednesday. It's going to be a big Bo Horvat week here on the Halford and Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd is going to be in with me. Yeah, I'm not going to do this solo. And as the one guy pointed out, I said 26 consecutive sports cliches. I didn't uh, want to interrupt you. You're on a roll. I don't even remember which ones I said. I'm amazed that he counted them. Yeah. I, I mean, think 26 is a bit high. Yeah, but I feel like I could do it. I, I do. For it. I do rely rely on cliches. Do it just to spite this guy. <laughs> uh, you know, I do it 110 percent of the time. Okay, as I go. try to take this one game at a time, yeah. or one day at a time, one shift at a time. Uh, Jamie Dodd's going to be in hosting with me Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week. I talked to Jamie yesterday, and we both were like, "Okay, we're just doing Bo Horvat week, right? Like that's what it's going to be." It is a very interesting dynamic. Bo comes back. The team is on an, one of the greatest starts in franchise history. The Islanders are not playing especially well to start the year. There's going to be all the talk about Bo's legacy and everything else. So rest assured, there will be a lot of look-aheads, a lot of previewing what is going to be a big, very important, very profound week for the Vancouver Canucks. Probably be a, a lot of different emotions going into the Horvat game. We are going to do a lot of Canucks talk today, but it is a Monday after a weekend in which a ton of stuff happened, including... The dismissal of Jay Woodcroft in Edmonton. That happened yesterday. For those of you that missed it, Woodcroft is out. The Edmonton Oilers have fired Woodcroft after a brutal 3-9-1 start through the season. 13 games in. And to hear general manager Ken say it, this decision wasn't made after the 13th game. This decision was made after that loss last week in San Jose, which many of us thought was going to be the end of the road for Jay Woodcroft. Turns out it was. Here is the general manager, uh, Ken Holland, talking about the timing and the dismissal of Jay Woodcroft in Edmonton. When I talked yesterday afternoon, the team was on the road, obviously in Seattle, um, and made a decision that uh, we were going to, obviously to get the wheels in motion, um, we have to we have to get uh, permission from the Rangers. Um, had to obviously negotiate a contract. Um, you know, we played played Saturday, played Monday, we played Wednesday. So whether it was yesterday or the day before, it wasn't something that could just transpire in 12 hours. It was you know we got to we had to get him from Hartford to here. So uh, um, 
officially made the decision at some point in time Saturday during the game and made the decision that when we got home uh, last night that I would talk, I would meet with, uh, with Jay and, uh, and Dave, and I met with him this morning. So in comes Chris Knobloch from AHL Hartford, as, Jay, as Ken Holland alluded to in the clip there. Knobloch... The connection here, I think most of you do. If you don't know, he coached Connor McDavid in the Ontario Hockey League with Erie for three seasons. And there's also another addition in addition to Knobloch, and that is that Paul Coffey is going to go behind the bench as well in Edmonton. The overarching theme for me is that you bring in two coaches into a very, very tight and uncomfortable situation in Edmonton, and neither of them have much experience coaching at the NHL level. I know that Knobloch has served as an assistant before, and I know that he had a brief, brief stint as an interim head coach uh, back in New York with the Rangers when David Quinn was put on the COVID-19 protocol list. But outside of that, this is a guy that does not have a ton of NHL coaching experience. Paul Coffey has even less. Do you think McDavid had a big say in this? Based According, on their history? Now, that's an interesting wrinkle in all this. That was this. the first thing I thought of. I was like, well, okay, they have a history. Maybe McDavid was like, hey, get this guy. He's pretty good. So, uh, you know, they alluded, Ken Holland alluded to Jeff Jackson there, right? And that's Connor McDavid's former agent now working in an executive role with the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know... Jackson actually said that they did not consult the players on this one. He said in his experience, the players don't want to, one, be privy to coaching changes before they're made because there is a sense of responsibility. Like, hey, you're you're looking to change a coach. Part of this, if you're Connor McDavid, is like, I have no goals in my last eight games. I probably played a role in this, right? Leon Dreisaitl, I have one goal in my last 10 games. Part of the reason that Woodcroft's going is because I'm not getting it done. So Jackson said that, they didn't. I find it hard to believe that they didn't confer with him on some level about bringing in a guy. And the connections to McDavid are quite obvious, right? As for Woodcroft, he made mistakes through the start of this season. Changed the defensive structure. It didn't work. It seemed as though there was a real rigidity to what he wanted to do. They've been pretty low in, sh- in attempts given up, though. Like, and, they, and there was all that. All things considered. There was that. He wasn't getting the goaltending. But there were, you know, when they would talk about what was going on with their goals against, oftentimes it was, we are making individual mistakes, and those individual mistakes are proving super costly because they're almost always being turned into a goal. It is the head coach's job to limit those mistakes, to figure out why they're happening, and then to cut them out of the game. And to that, that is to give instruction to players within the system about, you know, don't do what Donnie don't does, meaning figure out what's going on on tape or on film, and then don't make those mistakes again. Find them, correct them, limit them. And he wasn't able to do that because consistently they were making the same mistakes, and yeah, they were being punished. Yeah, they weren't getting the goaltending. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens moving forward. But for now, Woodcroft out after a 3-9-1 start to the season through 13 games. Just a quick little background on Chris Knobloch. He's had a wild career path. If you look at where he's been all across North America, uh, he's he's basically, he's a QMJHL championship away from the trifecta in the CHL. Uh, So he's got quite a bit of history as a coach, and he's pretty well regarded. He won with Kootenai here in the WHL. uh, So he's not just some random guy or a guy that uh, Connor McDavid really likes. He's he's actually a well-respected coach. Fun last name to say it, too. Knobloch. Knobloch. Is, that, Knobloch. is he related to Chuck? Not related to Chuck okay. Knobloch. Yeah, Knobloch. We, I did the research on the research on that Knobloch. You did the research. Um, <laughs> you're, you're listening, listening to, to the best, best of Alfred, Alfred and Brock. Joining us now to talk about all of it, NHL.com, In Goal Magazine, Kevin Woodley here on the Halford and Brock Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Kev? How are you? 
I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we are well. Well, I'm well. The dogs are well. I'm just assuming Jason's having the time of his life right now because it's better weather where he is. But uh, he did not get a chance to come in here this morning and bask in the glow of another Connects victory. Uh, Kev, it's very appropriate that we have you on in the wake of a very, very good weekend for Casey DeSmith and Net for the Vancouver Canucks. Backup Netminder gets a pair of wins over Ottawa and Montreal. Stops 58 of 62 shots for a 935 save percentage. Your thoughts on the job DeSmith put forth this past weekend? Uh, I would say his best two performances of the year, and I know he, he hasn't lost in regulation coming into this, um, and I think his save percentage after his first couple starts was off the charts, and I even saw some online chatter about playing him ahead of Temco at the time, which has kind of made me chuckle. The difference uh, this past weekend, these past two starts, is the workload was a lot tougher um, by the numbers, and he outperformed it. Uh, when we when, went into this road trip, how many people would have guessed that going into these last two starts for Casey to Smith, Jack Campbell had a had a better adjusted save percentage? Hmm. That's the truth. That's the reality. Casey wow. to Smith has given them everything they needed um, to this point, but I, I thought his play hit another level in these past two games, and probably not a coincidence on that start last night in Montreal because he got a chance to play and feel a little bit of rhythm and and sort of not have to sit on a start for you know weeks at a time, and that's a good thing. And this is a positive for everyone involved because it allows them to continue to build the confidence to play him more, which will allow him to feel better about his game and allow Thatcher to get more rest because you know it's, it's starting to look like you know you can start to think about the postseason as much as you don't want them to in in terms of players getting ahead of themselves because as soon as you do in this game it'll come back to haunt you in terms of the team and the way they're managing minutes and wanting to make sure that you know when you get to the playoffs you have the best left of Demko as opposed to running them into the ground just to make it like you can start looking in those terms a little bit right now they've built up that type of cushion in case he's giving them a type of goaltending um where you don't have to worry about the nights he starts right because i mean prior to the eastern road swing i remember looking at some of the numbers and just like raw counting stats on demko but uh he had faced a lot of shots i think at one point he was second or third most in the nhl through the first 10 games or so uh the time on ice was high they had been utilizing him a lot. And that's great because, you know, he was playing well and they were winning games. But the obvious rub, like we've talked about countless times on the show with you, is that you do run the risk of burning a guy out. And, you know, going into being able to do what they did this weekend is great. And then if you, I, we talked about this earlier, Laddie and I were going back and forth about goalie tandems and the elite ones in the NHL right now. The other two right now would probably be Swayman and Allmark in Boston, and it would be Hill and Thompson in Vegas. And what do those teams have in common? Well, they are also right near the top of the NHL standings. So there's real merit to not just having a goalie tandem, but a very good one that you can rely on both guys in these kind of instances. Yeah, no, and uh, I'd add another one to that list. Um, Sorokin and Varlamov, the way uh, Varley's playing in with the island. Is I knew I was missing one, right? Yeah, that was the other one. Yeah, no, maybe not one of the elite teams, but hanging in there in large part because of the goaltending um, that they're getting right now. So, yeah, I mean, listen, you can look back, I mean, at, at basically Vasilevsky broke this mold. But outside of the two, you know, the years that the two years he won and the year he gets back to the final where he's just this workhorse and plays all the games and plays every minute in the postseason, like every other example, guys are winning cups by not playing a ton during the regular season. You know, and we've seen it, you know, even last year, you see some of the like, 
um, the performances as the playoffs went on from the guys who had played a bunch, they they started to fall off. I mean, you know, Jake Ottinger, we found out later, was dealing with an ankle issue and playing throughout throughout, throughout the postseason. But if you look, you know, look at the numbers he played, and you look at the numbers and the way he played in, in the playoffs, like it wasn't the same guy. Um, the year that Demko got hurt, UC Saros, the Nashville gets to the playoffs, but they played the wheels off him to the point where he wasn't healthy to be in the playoffs. So um, the idea of splitting the load, you know, we've seen this number come down, 70, 65, 60, and now I think a lot of teams are thinking 55 as an ideal target for your number one goaltender. If we can get to that point, uh, get to the end of the season and our guys under that number, it, it improves our chances once the playoffs start. And you got to think that that thinking is part of what went into this weekend. In your estimation, which one of those is the best goalie duo, goalie tandem in the National Hockey League right now? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, I think pedigree, you got to go with the Islanders one. Okay. Um, in terms of more of an even split, uh, Aiden Hill and... Like, like to me, Demko and DeSmith are more of a, you know, not, not even 1A, 1B. Like, that's starter backup. Same, sure. with, um, same with Varlamov and Sorokin, although Varley, again, continues to put up numbers at an elite level. Um, so, I, I, no, it's got to be Allmark and Swayman. Sorry, that, like, that's got to be your top tandem in the NHL. Both those guys would be starters on either team. Allmark was full, full pull for the Vesna last year. Like, yes, they were a great team, but his numbers were the best adjusted save percentage in the NHL. The only guy close was UC Saros. And right now, Jeremy Swayman's playing even better than him. So it's got to be them. We're speaking to Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and Ingold Magazine here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650K. So I'm running through my notes of guys to talk about and things to discuss in the wake of the Montreal victory. DeSmith's right at the top of the list. Not far behind him. Connor Garland, who's had a really strong last few games. That Eastern road swing for the Joshua Suter-Garland line was very good. Drance wrote about it in The Athletic that, you know, this, this Canucks team and Connor Garland's play, that play is a reminder that the Canucks are a better team with him contributing than without. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because there's always that looming specter of the ugliness to start the year with the trade request that might have been a request or might not. But I do agree with you know the sentiment here that when he's going and on that effective third line, the Canucks are a better team with Garland than without. Yeah, because he, he get like... It didn't work really on the top line, no, right? Like, no. there's just not enough puck to go around, and the and the way they play off each other when he was up there with Patterson, it you know it just didn't didn't click at the same level. But when you have that play in your third line, when you add that to your third line, and McKayev comes back, and all of a sudden things get sort of slotted in in a more effective manner, yeah, like that's been a big part of this. You're not. You know, teams are going to start to try to shut down the top two. They're going to start to target. Um, the Pedersen line. They're going to start to do things differently defending the Canucks now that I think they've established themselves as being for real. And you're going to need that scoring from your third and fourth lines. You're going to need contributions. And Garland driving that line compared to what was going on before he got there, like it's night and day. So even if, you know, to use one of 
since we're citing his article, one of one of Thomas's favorite words, the counting stats yeah. aren't there yet. We can see the effectiveness, and um, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk about PDO and. It's all true, um, but one of the things they've been so much better at doing as a team, whether it's on the power play, five on five, but, um, and you saw it last night, is getting to those areas around the front of the net. Uh, obviously, Connor Garland is not going to be there to screen goaltenders, but they've gone from you know, screening goaltenders and taking away eyes on shots is sort of one way of, of measuring how effectively a team is getting to those areas. And they've gone from being a bottom three team last year to a top three team when I look at the clear side analytic numbers so far this season. And I just, I just think there's the way he plays, as much as it might not be a fit personnel-wise for who you have on your top two lines, you know, clearly it's a big factor in how the third is going right now. You know, another thing the Canucks did extremely well on Sunday as a team is take advantage of equipment malfunctions on behalf of the Montreal Canadiens. I'm trying to think. I think they lost two skate blades and three sticks in the span of one game Montreal did, including uh, Jake Allen losing his stick on the second goal, the Mikheyev goal. And we talked about it a lot in the intro that sometimes you get breaks to go your way. Other times your good play makes those breaks happen. But the key is that you take advantage of them. And I wanted to ask from your perspective, I asked Laddie this already, but I'm curious to get your take. How difficult is it for a goalie to tend goal when they don't have their stick? Because Allen looked, I would say, uncomfortable when Mikheyev came in and ripped that wrister past him. Yeah, you just sort of feel naked. Um, I don't think guys at that level are relying on it to set their stance, but some do, right? Like Connor Hellebuck, for example. Like his stick is a big part of sort of setting his stance, setting his posture on a shot release. And you just you just don't feel right when you don't have it. That's I mean that's. Not the most technical or complex explanation, but you just you just don't feel the same. I do think, and I didn't see much talk of this, but I rewound it and looked at it a couple of times. I think that was a tough shift for Caden Gooley because he's the great. one that knocks the stick <laughs> out. And I actually think his reach in on McKayev's release might have got a piece of that puck. At the very least, it took away Jake Allen's eyes. So as awkward as he looked on that one, and as much as we want to equate it to not having a stick, I think that may have been more about either the shot slightly changing direction from release uh, off a of Gooley's stick, or at the very least, Gooley's reaching out with that stick and taking away eyes on a shot that I think Jake Allen saves most times. You know, it's, I was watching a thing on Henrik Lundqvist the other day, and they were talking about the Lundqvistian stare, that the daggers that he would burn through the back of your head if you had made a mistake. And I was thinking, eh, Alan sure had some beefs and some stares that he could have thrown around after that one. Yeah, Gooley knocks the stick out of his hands. It goes to the corner, and then Suzuki's clear. It's kind of soft. Like he didn't, you know, he didn't give him a chance to go out of his net and retrieve his stick. He just kind of lofted it into the middle of the ice. And then, as you mentioned, comes back the other way, and Gooley might have gotten in the way of the McKayev shot. So there's a lot that happened there that didn't go in the way of Jake Allen. But I, I go back to what I said earlier. It just feels like this Canucks team is either in a position to make those plays happen, make those breaks happen, make those fortuitous bounces happen. And I think more importantly, when those things do happen, the Canucks are there to capitalize, and that's a big thing right now. Yeah, and I think at the other end, that's 100% true, and I think at the other end, like, and that's what Rick Talkett talked about in terms of being predictable. 
right? Like being in the right spots, being, yeah. and it, that includes being in front of the net um, because that's where a lot of these bounces do end up happening. If they're not all like, they don't all end up with McKay of getting a chance off a slight rush, right? But if you're not in the right spot along the wall to intercept a soft clear, do you get a chance to make that play? If you're retreating early, if you're giving up too much of a gap, do you get a chance to keep that in the zone? Uh, things like that. Um, and I think at the other end, and this maybe went missing a little bit in the Toronto game with some of the bounces, they've done a really nice job in front of their goaltenders of collapsing down and taking away those second opportunities. Because it's not a criticism of DeSmith by any means, but if there's one thing we've noticed about his play, like I love the fact that as a smaller goalie, he never sort of defaults, or very rarely does he default into a pure butterfly block. Like he maintains active hands all the time, and he's made some remarkable saves because of it. On plays that, <clears throat> shots that were labeled, and I'm not sure, you know, maybe from distance a little bit, you're not, you're not, it doesn't look that dangerous, but it, it is more um, than it looks because of how he's maintaining that reactive um, discipline with his hands. But there have been second-chance opportunities, right? Like, leaves a lot of loose pucks in and around. And they're not bad rebounds because he keeps them in front of him, but there are a lot of second chances. And this team has done a really good job, again, sort of making their own luck on those bounces most nights by making sure they're back and in position and supporting each other uh, in front of the net. You know, obviously a couple times in Toronto, things got a little scrambly. Thatcher doesn't find his post, and they lose some of those battles. But part of winning them more often than not is sort of having the positional discipline to make sure you're in the right spot and then winning your battle when you're there. We're speaking to Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The other big news from Sunday, Kev, the Edmonton Oilers have fired head coach Jay Woodcroft. In comes Chris Knobloch, who used to coach Connor McDavid at OHL Erie. Uh, I want to focus, obviously, with you here on the goaltending in all of this because there are a lot of people that are pointing at Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner as the reasons that Jay Woodcroft is now unemployed and I don't think it's necessarily fair but I also think that it's hard to ignore that neither have been great this year from your perspective knowing far more about the position than I do how much is goaltending or how much did goaltending lead to the dismissal of Jay Woodcroft played a role in it no question um and I think they would tell you the same you know, I haven't talked to the goalie since the the changes in personnel but like they'll tell you they needed to come up with a few you know tough stops like just because they're tough chances doesn't mean you can't make them and you know momentum changes like we saw one from Skinner when that game was uh, early against Seattle before it kind of turned in Edmonton's favor um but that said like like listen like Jack Campbell's numbers took a bit of a hit in the Nashville game, which was ended up being his final start on a couple of goals that when I talked to, I talked to him out in Abbotsford twice, went out and watched the game, talked to him after, went out the next day and, and watched a practice and talked to him after. And the good thing is that like, I think he's in a good spot mentally, which I was a little worried about, you know, after such, such tough news, but Outside of that game, and he talked about wanting to play a couple things a little different, situations, the way he handled them, one against Philip Forsberg where he squared up rather than sort of getting back in his net and got caught up. Like, his numbers going into that game were the exact same. I talked earlier about the adjusted save percentage being better than DeSmith's heading into this road trip for Vancouver. His numbers going into that game were the exact same as they were in Toronto. Just the defense was horrible. Like, so, yes, goaltending is a factor. And, and the goaltending people in charge of it, the people around it, the people doing it, will tell you that. But they went from being a top-five defensive team to being the worst team in the entire freaking National Hockey League mm -hmm. in terms of giving up the most dangerous 
chances off the rush. Yeah. They ever all the focus is on how they changed their play in their defensive zone. And yeah, there've been some mistakes that highlighted it. But defensive zone hasn't been the problem. It's been what they give up off the rush. And they made a change to their neutral zone. They went to a pass of 1-1-3 that kind of mimics what the Kings do, but they ain't executing it successfully because mm-hmm. it is like a saloon door getting into the Edmonton Oilers end off the rush right now. It just opens and closes. And then you get into the mistake. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of the Canucks Two years ago, (laughs) last season, because the top players continue to to make careless mistakes in the offensive end. That you know, for all it doesn't matter how much what you change in your neutral zone. If you're you know throwing cross ice muffins to try and force offense and 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 giving up long range odd man rushes as a result the other way, and then your defensemen aren't particularly good at playing those odd man rushes, like it's a recipe for disaster. And like again. Do the goaltenders need to make some big saves? Yes. Stuart Skinner is his second year in the National Hockey League. Guess what? Rush chances haven't been his strength to this point in his career. So you might not want to be dead last in the NHL at giving up the most odd man rushes and the most difficult chances off the rush. And I think that's kind of what gets lost in the lack of accountability, right? Like, again, it, it feels like the year, you know, Boudreaux, when they kept falling behind because guys like, at the time, J.T. Miller would make mistakes mm-hmm. and turn the puck over and they'd end up in their net. Well, the only way we can come back in this game is if we do what? Play J.T. Miller more so he can get us caught up. Like, that was a real thing here in Vancouver. And it's a real thing right now in Edmonton. So um, the changes in system, the lack of execution, the carelessness in terms of the turnovers in the offensive end and the chances they gave up as a result, and the lack of accountability for all of it. Like, to me, goaltending is a saves. But it is just one part of a very big picture that has gone very sideways for them. And I'm curious, I, you know, I've heard the new coach has a different neutral zone. Um, I'm curious if that's going to be enough or if the mistakes continue to be made forcing things offensively that lead to chances that, you know, frankly, I don't care who you've got in net. Um, it, it's probably not going to help. I go back to Robin Lehner, had a great anecdote. When he's in Buffalo, he saw three or four odd man rushes a game. Even when he plays well, one or two is going in. He goes to the Islanders, it's one or two odd man rushes every two or three games, and his numbers get better. It ain't a coincidence. You can't give those up. Well, it's funny that you compared them to last year's Vancouver Canucks because the penalty kill, much like last year in Vancouver, has been atrocious this season. It's at 70%. It's the third worst in the NHL. And they're, So, you know, it's interesting because you look at all of these numbers and everything you just said, and you're like, is the easiest thing for Knobloch to maybe come in and literally scrap everything thing that Manson and Woodcroft had done and just say, hey, whatever we were doing before wasn't working. That's why I'm here. Uh, Enough of the alterations to what we do in the defensive zone and the neutral zone. Maybe they just get back to being what they were last year. I don't know if it's that simple, but it might be. Well, and this is the thing. Last year, they were a good defensive team. Now, interestingly enough, they were top five defensive team when it came to giving up high danger chances, which is sort of the grain of salt I always talked about when it came to Stuart Skinner's numbers. Um... But those numbers dipped, and, and again, this is math. This is, the, this is what the numbers say. And I understand that from the outside, it's like, this isn't possible. They had to be better after this trade. They dipped defensively after they acquired Matias Ekholm. They went from a top-five team to, to just inside the top ten. And that's actually a pretty big drop when you consider how large the sample was where they were top-five and how short a time he was there that they dropped to top ten. I'm not saying it's on Matias Ekholm. It was almost like he got there and everyone looked at each other like, okay, he's going to take care of the defense. As opposed to... 
Yeah, I, I wish I had pulled it up in front of me. I have it on my tape recorder. I have it transcribed. I got a quote from Ian Cole before the team went on the trip on what back pressure does. Because we think of defense as being defensemen and what the back pressure has done for this team. Um, when you have it and when you don't. When you know that you have a forward tracking back, what it does to a defenseman in terms of gap, to you know what that does to an attacking forward when he sees everybody standing at the line and has to chip it in, and now all of a sudden you've just got an easy retrieval and you're out of your zone. Like The difference is night and day, and the Oilers don't have any of that right now. Uh, Kev, before we let you go, I'm going to throw it over to Laddie because I know you and him wanted to talk about Sean Murray. Laddie, take it Yeah, away. it's been a tough weekend for the goaltending community. I know, uh, Kevin, you had a personal connection with Sean Murray who passed away. We also saw uh, Roman Chichmanic, the former Flyers and Kings goalie, pass away as well. But Sean Murray was uh, someone that me and Kevin both had a personal connection with. He's uh, a guy a lot of goalies in the Vancouver area know and know very well because he was uh, just one of the nicest, uh, you know, easiest approachable goalie coaches you could find and uh yeah really really sad to uh, to hear about his passing recently i don't know if kevin if you have anything to add to that i just think um uh, me and my business partner at ingle magazine david hutchison were we were in the car on friday night coming back from an interview uh for our podcast when uh when i got the call and i think like devastated and shocked but then when you talk about the impact the guys had in the community we immediately started to think about all the people we knew that he had touched and wanting to make sure, you know, when news like this gets out, you want to make sure that, that people know and they find out in the right, right way because we're talking in a lot of cases about kids, then this might be their first experience dealing with something like this. And, you know, to your point, Greg, I didn't even know that you had worked with him because everybody has, right? Like when I say that Sean Murray affected the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of goalies, and young men in this area over, you know, I think he started performance goaltending in the mid-90s, 94, 95. Like, that is not an exaggeration. And I think there's a lot of people that are hurting with this news um, because he was so positive, so passionate about the position and about teaching it, but also just positive and involved in his young goaltenders' lives. Like, always an advocate for them when they, you know, when it was time to look at opportunities in junior or college. Um, you know, there's a lot of great coaches out there, and, and this is a reminder. Uh, he was he was he's the guy that sort of started. I, I didn't realize this at the time, but talking to uh, you know his business one of his business partners, uh, Joey Ali, about the impact he had. Like in the mid '90s, when there was no goalie coaching in minor hockey, like he was the one that sort of started the idea of a you know private goalie school coming in to work with associations and they worked with dozens of associations over the years burnaby winter club for him the primary one and you know basically that's a model now all across canada of these you know these goalie companies making sure that you know goalies and associations get the teaching they need and and he started that so yeah just a really tough day and my my you know my heart goes out to his family obviously his friends um but just also to the you know like i said there were so many goalies that, whose lives he touched, and uh, they're all they're all hurting uh, since since the news uh, came out on Friday night, and and people started finding out on Saturday. So, thoughts with everyone on this. It's uh, it's been a tough weekend for the goalie community in Vancouver. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.